Welcome to the Cyber Podcast. My name is Christoph Limpler, and today's guest is Kevin Christ. Kevin is an IT consulting leader, CIO coach, and transformational interim CIO with many years of experience at both large and boutique consulting firms. He was named a top 25 consultant by Consulting Magazine for excellence in technology. He has led IT transformations via interim CIO roles at multiple enterprises and has 35 years of experience with business and IT consulting. He's also a frequent speaker on IT leadership topics, and I'm excited to have him on the show because when we first started talking, he presented a very interesting idea that aligned perfectly well with our goals for the Cyber Podcast, which is to provide listeners with an actual path in the IT and cybersecurity industry so that they can progress from where they are today towards where they want to be. And because of Kevin's extensive experience working with CIOs, he's the perfect fit for giving us a path of what we need to know in order to become a CIO. So Kevin, welcome to the Cyber Podcast and thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Christoph. I am I'm very pleased to join you. I also want to say a special thank you to Tom Sweet for making the introduction. And Tom was actually our very first guest on the Cyber Podcast. So be sure to check out his episode if you haven't already. But going on with today's episode, we wanted to, to position it to answer the questions of, you know, what does it mean to be a CIO or CTO or chief data officer, et cetera, and who makes it? And so let's start by answering those questions, Kevin, by telling us about your personal IT journey. How did you get started? How did you end up where you are today? And what are you doing today? Uh, sure. I started out uh, really uh, at 15. Um, I was hired by an insurance agency to uh, work on their computers. And I thought I'd be doing data entry. Uh, the man I worked for an actuary, Paul Dugan, uh, uh, handed me a pile of manuals, said the computer's arriving in four weeks, read these books and get ready to program when it gets here. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I, uh, I, I did everything I could. And uh, the thing came, I was an IBM 5110, a giant machine that did very little. And I uh, assembled it and wrote my first program. And uh, and, and, and really enjoyed uh, working with technology and, and the benefits it could bring and stumbled on from there into to, uh, a college minor in uh, computer systems. And uh, uh, really technology has been part of my professional career throughout my life. It's funny when I ask that question for guests, typically the response that I get is, is kind of the same of, yeah, I had a trial by fire. That's really how I, I learned. Somebody gave me a manual or somebody said, build this out. You know, you have X number of days or weeks or whatever. Good luck, right? It's, it's rarely, oh, I had this amazing onboarding experience. Uh, but, but I also learned that way as well. So I know for some people that's not the best way of learning, uh, but I've always enjoyed just give, being given a task or something to do. And then, you know, good fun. Uh, but again, I know that's not, that's not the same for everyone. So glad that worked out for you. It, it did indeed. The uh, the first program I ever wrote for Paul, uh, I, I pulled him in and pulled in some other people in the office, and he told me, "Don't worry, nobody's first program ever works." And uh, I hit the button, and uh, the printer word, the report came out, and uh, and it was it was dead on. And then on the, nice. on the computer screen, it said, "Ha ha, it works." And, <laughs> Paul, Paul told that story for years to this cocky kid that, that, that did that. And what, what I told him years later was I had to hit the space bar for that message to come up on the screen after he'd seen the report and it worked. But, uh, but he thought it was all part of the program. 
So he, he thought that was how it was supposed to work, and, and that's all that matters, right? Exactly. I feel like we can draw a lot of parallels between that story and somebody's transition to the CIO or just C-level general or, or position in general. I mean, because a lot of times when I ask someone who's been at the C-level what their biggest surprise was when transitioning into that role, a lot of times people say, I didn't expect it to be what it ended up being. And usually they say, you know, being a CIO slash CTO or, or anything else, you know, insert in this blank is not about technology. So then what is it about? What does that even mean? Um, I, I think that's a, a very accurate perception. I, technology is the domain you're working in, but you are a business leader and you need to be thinking about the whole business and how to improve the whole business and how to support the whole business. And and just like a CFO doesn't only worry about the numbers and a COO doesn't only worry about the operations, if you can't see how what you do impacts marketing or impacts the customer, impacts the supply chain, um, then, then you're not really going to come up with the right answers. And so what, what I see in the most successful CIOs is they work hard to understand um, the value chain of the business and, and why the business exists for its customers and for its employees. And, and then technology is their way to support the mission of the business as opposed to their focus. And that can also change a lot depending on a lot of different factors, actually. So, you know, factors related to the organization, factors related to the organization's size, like you said, some of the strategy, mission behind the organization, the structure of what that looks like. What are some of the other factors to keep in mind and to consider when trying to think of what that CIO or CTO role looks like? I think when I look at uh, different CIOs, no, no two CIO positions are the same. And um, if you look at some of the factors that differentiate one for another, um, a CIO in a relatively uh, small to medium-sized shop with a staff of you know 25 to 50 is in a very different job than a CIO with a cast of thousands. In the smaller shop, you really do need to be closer to understanding the technology, being able to understand the individual jobs and, and how to solve things. Your, your, your staff is thin and often you don't have, you know, backfills, you know, two or three layers deep. If you are the CIO of a multi-billion dollar corporation with, with uh, uh, you know, several thousand IT employees, your, your job, you never get near the technology. You're dealing with creating the environment that can deliver technology. So the rules, the policies, the prioritization, the training, the talent development um, all become you're creating a system to drive success as opposed to personally uh, being in the middle of, of, of most of the initiatives. So I think size is a big differentiator. Um, I think in some organizations, um, IT is a competitive necessity. And in some organizations, it's a cost center to be minimized. And again, mm -hmm. the CIO job becomes very different. Um, when, when I think of a competitive necessity, um, think about banking. Um, and, you know, it wasn't that long ago when banks started to introduce the idea that you could take a picture of your uh, check on the phone and deposit it remotely. Well, the bank that didn't have that capability was at a competitive disadvantage. And it was really a competitive necessity to give your customer the experience they expected. Um, for, uh, for other businesses, um, IT has not become that strategic asset, and uh, you need to be very, very smart about um, uh, limiting spend so that you can fund the things that are most important uh, because other things aren't going to get funded, and, and you don't have that same 
uh, competitive force driving uh, investments in the technology area. So when you mentioned that no two CIOs are the same, if, if somebody's listening right now and one of their career aspirations is to become a CIO, what could you say are some of the, the kinds of responsibilities that the position typically has and, and come with so that we can give them that guiding star of here's, here's the direction, direction you can go in. And then, of course, you have to learn some specifics depending on industry and some of the other factors that, that you mentioned. But what are some of the core kinds of responsibilities that the position comes with? Sure. I, I think you know the, the thing people think of first, again, as you mentioned earlier, is technology. And, and technology is, is but one component of what you're bringing. Um, the, uh, and often someone starts their career in the technology function as a programmer and in, in IT operations and in, in uh, other areas as a business analyst with the aspiration of becoming a CIO. And, and they become very good in, in a particular domain. But uh, the, the things that cause you to rise through the organization, eventually become a CIO is to move beyond a particular technology, a particular platform, a particular business operation you support. I'm a business analyst for the marketing function. Um, you really need to learn more about the broader business. You need to learn more about the processes of running a good uh, technology organization as opposed to the specific technology. So do you have good governance? Do you have good uh, project and program management in place? Do you have uh, reliable way to manage um, the IT operations where ideally you're preventing problems before they arise, but certainly when a problem or an incident does arise that, that you are prepared for a rapid response that minimizes the disruption to the business. Uh, beyond that, um, managing contracts, managing vendors, negotiating good contracts, uh, fiscal management, really understanding the difference between uh, operating spend and capital spend in, in the budgeting process um, are, are all important. And then beyond that, I mean, most CIOs, th those are the, 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 the blocks, the building blocks you need to have to be effective. Most CIOs aspire to be creative problem solvers and to drive innovation in the business. And, um, and that's a whole different, if you think about it, you need to be a whole brain thinker. On one extreme, it's like I have to have a disciplined shop that follows the rules so that we deliver reliable service. When the other half of my brain, I've got to envision a future that's never happened before and see if technology can help reach it. Um, and, and all those things contribute to, uh, to being an effective CIO. Um, probably the thing I missed is change management. And, uh, Organizational change management, getting people to behave differently, to um, think differently, to change the way the business operates with the new technology in place is a whole nother uh, set of skills and puzzles. And, and so when I look at a CIO, um, it is this incredibly diverse set of talents and skills that you have to bring to bear and, and where it's not maybe your, your uh, forte, make sure you've surrounded yourself with people that, that deliver that as an IT organization. And you mentioned the example of the banks reinventing themselves. And it, it's funny, I, I was dealing with a, an online bank recently where they didn't have that ability yet to take a snapshot of your, your check, for example, and deposit it in the account. And I remember thinking, wow, that, that's crazy how useful that feature has become. And now that I don't, I don't have it for this specific service, I'm, I'm in a pickle, right? I don't know how to de deposit this check now. And so I think that's a really good example of reinventing yourself. Something else that you've said in the past is that 
by the time you arrive, the job that you will have or that you have, I mean, will differ dramatically from the job that you sought. And especially as technology changes, the CIO role is going to be very different from five to, you know, between five and 10 years uh, of, of your career. But that question coupled with your statement of change management, getting people to, to jump on the, the new train of thought, the new technologies and so on is extremely difficult. So how do you prevent from getting stuck in your current skill set, your current knowledge, your current processes, so that when that role does need to change, especially if you've been very successful for, let's say, the past five years, a lot of people can build resistance, right? It's a natural human reaction to stick to what's been working. But how do you prevent that from happening? How do you stay ahead of it and constantly reinvent yourself and reinvent your organization? That, that is a great question. I think it's one that uh, that many of us struggle with uh, on, a, on a daily and an annual basis. Uh, you, you have to start with an intellectual curiosity and a willingness, willingness to look in the mirror and say, is this, um, where do I need to change? Where is somebody doing something better than the way we've been doing it? Where do I need to be willing to say, hey, that thing I thought was a 10-year path turned out to be a very good three or four-year path, but we need to be thinking about something different. I, I think uh, most CIOs that are successful read uh, constantly, listen to podcasts constantly, um, interact with their peers. And, and one of the things I've, I've learned um, really in the past 15 to 20 years is how tightly interconnected the CIO community is, certainly in North Texas, but I, I think um, across industries, um, uh, watching what your peers are doing, talking to them, hey, have you seen this kind of a problem before? Or listening to what are their innovations and abstracting those and saying, okay, the principle they innovated with, can I apply that to my business? Um, and, and so it's this, this uh, curiosity of always looking for, you know, what can I do better or different? Um, and when you look at technology itself, one of the interesting things is things that were impossible or unaffordable 10 or 15 years ago are cheap today. And if you look at um, bandwidth for networking and the, you know, what you can send back and forth in terms of images and videos uh, and just volumes of data, when you look at compute capacity and the, the speed of processors, things that would have taken a, a Cray computer at tens of millions of dollars, you know, 25 years ago can run on your iPhone. And so, you know, you can't get stuck in the rules of, oh, we could never do that. We could never afford it. It's like you have to watch the economics of technology and say, wow, well, you know, the, we always knew we could do it. Now we can afford it, too. And so the, the financial side is, is as important as the technical capability. I remember reading this somewhere and I can't remember where, but I found it to be true, even if it sounds kind of harsh, which is that if you start to feel comfortable in your role, then something's going to go wrong. And I, I've kind of found that to always be accurate. So now anytime I start getting comfortable and thinking, wow, we're really ahead, we're on top of this, something comes out of left field and just completely knocks me out. And then I realize, okay, I should have been on top of that. I should have been thinking around the corner. So I've definitely found that to be the case. Uh, and I think that's, um, that's very relevant to what you were just mentioning there. As a follow-up to that, I know that you were a consultant helping CIOs succeed for a large part of your career, but one of the interesting things you mentioned in a prior call to this episode is that once you were in the CIO seat, things weren't always so clear. Can you tell me a little bit more about that transition? Uh, absolutely. Uh, the, the first time um, I stepped in as an interim CIO, 
Uh, I've, I've been working with CIOs for close to 20 years at that point in my career, and I really thought I understood what was on the CIO's plate. And I used to get frustrated and, and say sometimes I, you know, I'm dealing with this six, 10, $15 million project. The CIO said it's the most important thing in the company. And then I can't get on his or her calendar for um, sometimes a month. And, you know, I need a decision. And, mm-hmm. and I couldn't fathom, you know, if this is so important, what are they doing? Well, when you get on the other side of the desk and you realize, well, yes, you do have a most important project, but you have 25 other very important projects. <laughs> you have um, operational surprises. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I've had situations where a location goes down and has no phone service. And, and it's a crisis because in that part of the company, they literally can't do business without, you know, connectivity. And so you drop everything and marshal the troops and make sure that that's getting responded to correctly. Um and, and so operational surprises take up your time. Other projects take up your time. Formulating new projects, that innovation and creativity we talked about, you have to make time to sit down with business leaders on a regular basis and imagine what could be, not from just a technology perspective, but how is our relationship with the customer going to change? How is our fundamental product going to change in, in the way that it delivers value and differentiates itself in the marketplace? Um, and then on top of that, you know, you have surprises like, oh, by the way, there's an acquisition. We are going to close in three weeks and we couldn't tell you about it because it was confidential. And so everything you're doing suddenly gets drawn into that. Um, mm-hmm. So the those things that a CIO does and put on top of that, um, the contract negotiations, the vendor relationships you need to stay on top of to make sure you're getting the services and the value you expected all of those things are constantly in motion. And, you know, I, I always describe the CIO job as um, it's the job of keeping a bunch of spinning plates in the air. And if you've got it, somebody's going to hand you another plate and the plate <laughs> just keep coming. And and that's really what I learned as, as, a, as an interim CIO is is the volume of activity is, is almost uh, limitless. And the solution is to stop trying to do it yourself, build a team, empower a team, really make sure that that the talent is um, developed uh, and that they um, that they're empowered to go make a difference and, and make decisions. Because if you try to run it all through you, it will break. It, 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 you will break nothing personally, but things will never get done because people are lining up waiting to talk to you and you can't get to it. Right. Like you mentioned, even if you have that number one priority and then you set everybody on that course, that doesn't mean that other things automatically just go on pause. You still have to support everything else. And so it really just comes down to, to building that team, having a fantastic group of people around you, but also prioritization, right? Really ruthlessly focusing and sometimes saying no to certain things that don't align with the strategy and the mission that you're trying to go after. And that can be something that's extremely hard, right? I've, I've seen it. I've struggled with it personally myself, but it can really make things fall apart if you don't have that team and if you don't help them and help yourself really prioritize and stay on track of, of what truly matters most, which is very hard to do. I, I think uh, the sign of a good leader, and I've, I've had a number of good leaders that have mentored me through my career, but um, if they can help set the priorities so that the team can focus on the priorities that are set and not agonize over, you know, I've got 20 hours of week and I've got or 20 hours of work to do today and I mm-hmm. have eight hours left. You know, a, a good leader will step in and say, you've only got eight. This is what I need you to do. Don't worry about this stuff. And they'll be very focused on delivering that eight hours because no matter what they do, they can't get 20 hours of work done in eight hours. And so you you have to 
help prioritize, you have to sometimes, you know, send in resources to help them because you need all 20 hours, but uh, you can't necessarily leave people to flail and struggle with, with, um, with things that just don't fit. And if someone's listening right now and they are in a consulting position like you were, what tips would you give them if they haven't been able to sit in that role yet? Or maybe a different way of phrasing that would be if, if you could go back in time and give yourself that advice, what would you tell yourself? Wow, that's, that is a, uh, a, a deep question. Let me, let me think about that. I, I believe that um, very few people launch their career saying, you know, I am going to be a CIO someday. And, and even if they do, if you look at the the very broad and deep pyramid, you know, there are, you know, thousands of people for, for every CIO role that, that is out there um, that are working in technology. And so uh, the question is, how do you prepare yourself for that? I, I think it, it is um, some of the things we've talked about are, you know, really learning the business and not just the technology. Mm-hmm. Not becoming wed to any particular platform, but but learning to be a problem solver uh, with the tools of the day. Um, and, and again, if I think through the history of technology, you know, just in my career, you know, nobody's built anything in COBOL in you know 25 years. But that's where I started. If I if I tied myself to COBOL, I could still be supporting COBOL systems, but there's so much I would have missed. Um, it is being willing to let go of what's comfortable to learn the next new thing. If you want to be a CIO and you've been an applications developer and then an applications manager, well, recognize the CIO is also in charge of operations. The CIO also has responsibility for security. The CIO also has, also has responsibility for um, you know financial management of the IT function. And so I would say if you want to be that person responsible broadly for everything, which the CIO is, then you need to drive your career to rotate through the uncomfortable things so that it becomes part of your uh, knowledge base and your tool set. And you you won't be as deep as if you spent all your time in one function, but being the expert in a particular technology or process doesn't necessarily make you the person that can manage the breadth of processes. So, so if somebody is listening and, and maybe they do have that aspiration to become a CIO or at least be on that track, what are some of the typical paths to becoming a CIO? What does that typically look like? Well, it's interesting. I, you know, it, at the end of the day, and I'll work backwards from there, there, there are really two major routes to CIO. And most people think of uh, the technology route. I, I started out as an analyst or a developer and worked my way into project management and, and, and on up the chain from there uh, within the technology function. And oftentimes, if you've not managed your career right, you're very good technologist, but you haven't really learned to think about the business. The other way that CIOs um, are are, uh, the other route is that they come in from the business side with very little technology background. And there's definitely a growing trend to taking someone out of finance or operations and saying, you know what we need the technology to do. You don't know how to build it, but we need somebody that can set those priorities and guide us to what has greatest business benefit. And I describe that person as the person who's just given, been given the keys to a Ferrari and they've never learned to drive a stick shift. Uh, they, bring in, <laughs> they bring in a very good set of skills and perspectives from a business side, but they have a lot to learn in terms of just understanding um, how the technology function works. So whichever of those two paths you come up with, 
you've got a big blind spot. You either haven't really under, you know, necessarily focused on the business enough, or you don't understand how a technology operation works. And so, you know, my, my advice would be uh, to whichever of those two paths you are on to look for opportunities to learn more and, and not just reading, but, but, diving in and doing it. If you're, if you're a technology person, see if you can go spend time in the business. Do a ride along with uh, on, a, on a service call. Go sit in the call center for a day and see what those people really do. Um, go tour your supply chain in China if you have the opportunity um, and, and really understand, you know, okay, this is how the process works. So here's how technology can really help us. And if you really spend time as a technologist going out and seeing the business firsthand or maybe taking rotation, take a you know, rotation out there for three months or six months or a year, but learn, uh, you know, a deeper understanding and, and a deeper set of relationships out in the business. If, if you're coming up through the business side and you've inherited, you know, the, the IT shop, then um, there are some executive immersion programs um, in terms of uh, how, do you, how do you learn the technology function fast enough? Uh, and, and in either case, you know, I mentioned earlier, if you've got some blind spots, make sure that you've got some, you know, direct reports and deputies on your staff that are very good at what you're not good at and learn from them, delegate to them, empower them. But uh, don't think that you can learn it fast enough uh, on your own. It, it really is, you know, a team sport to, to deliver, you know, quality technology solutions to a company. That's such great feedback. I mean, even being able to see how the other functions work and what other people are working on, how they're working, that can completely change your understanding of the business and its function, but also potentially your own role and position and, and really help you take that next step forward. Kevin, there's so much more that I'd love to expand on. There's a lot of information in this episode that we could spend hours talking about. And frankly, I would love that, but unfortunately we're running out of time. So I, I know we had offline discussed the potential of turning this into a series with maybe a couple more episodes and picking up where we left off in this episode and looking at other ones. And I sincerely hope, Kevin, that you're able to come back on the show and do that second episode. And by the way, if you're listening to this right now and you got valuable information from it, please reach out to either Kevin or myself or both and let us know because that will definitely help me convince Kevin to, to come back on the show and do a second episode. So definitely don't hesitate to do that. And on that note, Kevin, thanks so much for your time and for being here today. If listeners do want to reach out, how would you recommend they do that? Uh, probably the best way to reach me is via email, kevin.christ, C-H-R-I-S-T, at consenter.net, C-O-N-C-E-N-T-R-E. Uh, always uh, glad to take a question, glad to take a call. Um, uh, I would uh, certainly uh, appreciate the invitation to come back and join you again and, and would like to do that. Uh, and, uh, and thank you for your time today, uh, Christophe, and for anyone who is uh, listening. Thank you so much, Kevin. If you want to reach out to me personally, please feel free to do that at Christoph at cyber.com. That's C-Y-B-R.com. Also, you can find me on LinkedIn at Christoph Limpler. And if you want to check out some of our courses, go to cyber.com forward slash courses. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and see you next time.